You're listening to WNUR Evanston, and this is the best of WNUR programming. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Happy Halloween, everybody, wherever you are and however you're listening. Thanks for joining us. We've got some delicious treats for you on this show. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, and welcome to Opera Box Score. Welcome to our old fans. Welcome to our new listeners. We are the only show in America where we treat opera like a sport. No one else articulates their passion for this art form like we do. We talk about opera singers, opera productions, opera repertoire, and opera trivia, all with the mania of sports fans. And we are the only show in America where you get to have your say live on the air. No one else is live like us. You have a question for us? Give us a call. You think we're picking on somebody? Give us a call. You think we're awesome? Give us a call. The number is 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. This week is National Opera Week, an initiative from Opera America, the nation's advocacy group for opera. The celebration is an annual occurrence, and it's getting bigger and bigger each year. But what effect is it really having on opera audiences? I'll be investigating. Also on tonight's show, my co-host Giovanna takes off all her clothes. (laughs) Is what I would be saying if she was performing in an opera in Europe, where singers seem to get naked on stage all the time. Is this trend coming to America anytime soon? Our other co-host, Tobias, is in Florida singing in a production, but our team's working hard to get him on the show via phone. Stick around to see if it works. Don't miss our Twisted Opera Quiz, our opera rock cover jam session, and of course our infamous TKO segment where two opera singers face off in a steel cage death match. And it's all live. No edits, no filters, so keep it locked right here, right now. 89.3 FM, WNUR, Evanston, Chicago, an opera box score. Hello, everybody, and hello to Giovanna Jacques. Giovanna, what's going on? Hello, George. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Here we are back two weeks later. For... Two weeks later. Oh, my goodness. It's been a crazy two weeks. George, don't even. There's been a lot, a lot happening. So what, much. What, what haven't you done? Um, I haven't slept in a long time, but that seems to be the, the complaint of every single opera singer and musician and actor and artist in this city. So I won't complain right. too much about that. <laughs> um, I haven't had a moment to finish my book. I'm currently reading um, 
Cold Mountain, which is a great book, and I can't seem to finish it. Yeah, right but It's on. okay. And there's an opera version of that. There is an opera version of Cold Mountain, <laughs> indeed. Which is not why you're reading it. It's not at all why I'm reading it, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who, who told you about the book? Um, it's been on my Goodreads list. Do you know about Goodreads? I I I don't read books, so no. What? Yeah, I don't I don't read what? books. What? Um, I, I gave that up long ago. That's really sad. Um, <laughs> Goodreads is the Facebook for books, so you make friends and people will like suggest books to each other. Okay. And Cold Mountain was suggested to me. That's great by someone who you don't know. By someone whom I do not know. Okay, right on. And and how far in the book are you? I am three quarters of the way done. Okay. Um, but I I'm savoring it because it's very very good, and I tend to do this with books that I like. I'll really slow down the reading process to keep it going. When do you read? Do you read like all snuggled up in your PJs in your bed? Yeah. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I do it then. I do it on the train. Um, or I do it if I have like twenty minutes mid afternoon. Right. My way to unwind. Right. Yeah. I've been trying not to look at computer screens or my phone as often, so I try to look at my book instead. I do feel like you are on your phone quite a lot. I am on my phone quite a lot, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to pick on you. No, like you are. Lots That's of fine. <laughs> That's fine. Lots of people are on their phones the whole time. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, have, I have noticed that. Uh, well, it's, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, quick shout out again to give you our phone number. 847-866-WNUR. You can always give us a call. Let us know what you think about what we're talking about. There are two live operas being performed tonight in our humble country. And if you're at one of these shows, if you happen to uh, check in with us at intermission, we sure would love it. If you're seeing Turandot at the Met tonight or Cinderella at Lyric Opera of Chicago here on Home Ground. Generental. <coughs> Generentola, as they as they would say in Rossini's day. Uh, give us a shout and uh, let us know what you think. Without further ado, we're cutting to our first segment right now, Chalk Talk. It's the meat and potatoes of our show, and I'm going to kick it off. As I said in the intro, happy National Opera Week, everybody. Uh, this is an annual occurrence. It's hosted by Opera America, which is our country's advocacy group for opera. And uh, opera companies around the country, from the big ones like the Metropolitan Opera to the teeny-weeny ones like Fargo-Moorhead Opera... <laughs> Actually, which is a really great company. It's not that teeny. Dare I say, uh, there's smaller ones out there. All come together and do lots of different programming um, to basically bring opera to the forefront of, of what's going on. The honorary chairman for this week of opera, I, I told you who it was, but if you were going to guess a person, you would not guess this person. No, I wouldn't. Who, who would you pick to be the honorary chairman or chairwoman? I would pick Anna Netrebko. Mm -hmm. So you'd go with a very famous soprano, a very beautiful woman, not American, right? Yeah. Russian. That's what I, I mean, that's what I would have thought. I never would have guessed that <laughs> would be doing it. Yes. And the, the <laughs> is none other than David Hyde Pierce, who played Miles on uh, Niles. Niles oh, on Frasier. On Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> little too much turn of the screw for George. I know, really. He he. There's a little video on the Opera America website, and um, actually, our show is listed on the website. Hey, they um they reached out to lots of different people and said, hey, if you're doing opera related things, uh, let us know about them. And so I said, well, sure. Who doesn't want to do a opera show in a sports talk radio format? And um, 
You can go on their website and you can look at all these events. I'm going to give you a little rundown. For example, in Illinois alone, and I'm going to pull this up right now, in Illinois alone, how many things are happening? I looked this up. I hope it's not totally, totally lame here. Um, oh, my goodness. Well, our show wasn't listed at Chicago Fringe Opera, um, which we can now plug because it's over. Yes, um, we can. Floating Opera Company is here. Lyric Good. Opera Chicago, Third Eye Ensemble, Chicago Opera Theater. Uh, I guess I thought there would be more stuff happening in, and it's all I Chicago. I don't know, though. It's, it's kind of, actually, no, you're right. It's right in the swing of the first, of the fall season. I think there would be a lot more happening, too. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm sure there's, like, tons in New York. Right. Um, and then, I mean, let's pick a random state here, like, oh, I don't know, Washington. Can I pick Washington? I can. Again, this is all on operaamerica.org. Uh, there's one event in Washington. Step it up, Washington. Come on, Tacoma Opera, represent. <laughs> here they are, Mozart's Don Giovanni. Um, I can tell you that there was also an option when I put in this listing to pick um, web only. Oh. We are. Web only, the only one. Wow. Exactly. So welcome to all of our listeners through the operamerica.org website. Giovanna, the big question is, National Opera Week, had you ever heard of it before, and does it have a point? I'm slightly ashamed, George, to say that no, I have not heard of a National Opera Week. Um, this is not so surprising because I've been pretty much living under a rock my entire life and only resurface <laughs> or surface when I'm hungry. Right. <laughs> but I had not heard of it. At least it's not ringing a bell. It's quite possible that I've talked about it and just don't remember. What what purpose does it serve? Is it just a question of information? Like it, it shares information. Is there are there awards? What's the what's the lowdown? I mean, it's really a question of I think advocacy, which basically Opera America, their job is to try and make opera as relevant an art form in this country as possible, and they do that. Uh, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, first of all, they do that purely politically, right? So they have a conference every year. Last year it was in Washington, D.C. And um, they got a whole bunch of people together from opera companies and they went to Capitol Hill and they beat down the doors and they visited more than 40 congressional offices, have meetings. I imagine they met with the National Endowment of the Arts wow. to try and give more than like 30 cents to the opera business uh, in America. And... Um, so part of it is really like campaigning and advocating, uh, obviously promoting performances. We talked about the show at um, the Met tonight, the show at Lyric Opera tonight. Um, so they're promoting live shows. They're promoting free public events. Uh, press conferences is something it says here on the website. I, I think I wish we had held a press conference. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Like a pop-up joke press conference. Um, There's still time, George. Well, there is still time. We still have 50 minutes to, to flesh out here. Um, and uh, and then lastly, you know, social media and and trying to get people to just basically talk about it. I, I guess I feel like National Opera Week is similar to any other campaign that is set into a time period. Sure. Like Black History Month or yeah. Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. uh, and the goal is basically to get people to have the conversation. My question to you is, have you heard people having those conversations? Nope. I have not. And and so then well, why? Like, why are people not 
talking about this, not just people within the business and within the circle, but frankly, we're trying to get people outside the business and outside the circle to be talking about these things. Maybe it just hasn't gotten enough traction yet. I mean, part of me feels like as as a singer, every week is National Opera Week. You know, what sets this week apart from any other week? I mean, there's there are lots of things going on. It doesn't seem like there's a particularly large amount of things going on, given that Tacoma Opera is the only one in Washington. Yeah. And Chicago, the great grand city of Chicago, only has, what, five things? Well, I'm, I'm going to pull up New York here and see if, if New York Yeah, is. let's see what's happening there. Yeah. So maybe, but, I don't know. Hmm. New York has got a, yeah, a lot Yeah, quite a few, it. I see. Yeah, but it's all, it's all relevant. I mean, it's like events it's um proportional representation right that's the word from my civics class that i was looking for mm-hmm. uh Good you know job, George. <laughs> thank you you're uh you're you're looking for how many of these events are going on based on you know the population of the city all right we're going to check one more out here that's not near pick a state Giovanna. california okay your home state uh let's see here cal Mission Viejo, free voice lessons. Oh, I mean, so California's got uh, three, six, nine, twelve events. Okay, that's a little disappointing. So basically, between LA, San Francisco, exactly, that's all. Exactly. San Diego. So basically, mm-hmm. here in Chicago, we had twelve events. So our city managed to match the entire state of California. Wow. With the events that was going on. Uh, we represented. We have done our job. We have. We have uh, pitched and pressed and pushed Opera uh, Week here. Uh, do go back to the Opera America website, check it out, and have that conversation. Yeah. It's enough for us to be like having the conversation yeah. in the circle. Clearly. Um, go out and have that conversation. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a short little break. We're going to step aside, and we're going to be right back with the infamous pop quiz segment. Dun, dun, dun. And I've got a pretty good feeling that I'm going to do very well on this one. Mm-hmm. Stick around. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Tobias and Giovanna. Pop quiz. Oh boy. All right, time for pop quiz. I, I got a really good feeling about this one. I, I think I'm going to go five for five. All right. For the first time Let's ever. Let's see. So, Let's ladies and gentlemen, the uh, theme for this week's pop quiz is Benjamin Britten, who happens to be one of my top three favorite composers in the whole wide world. George, are you ready? I am ready as ever. Okay. Question one. In what 20th century decade did Britten pass away? Uh, the 1970s. Good. Very good. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, 1976. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, do I good get a job. do I get a bonus for that? No, because I didn't <laughs> ask you anything. Fair enough. Okay. Two. He wrote many of his songs, as in Benjamin Britten wrote many of his songs and roles and operas for his lifelong partner. What was his name? Peter Pears. Great. Like the fruit. Yes. And he 
Never mind. I can't say it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Filter. Exactly. Yes, you'll have to go to the um, podcast for the unedited version of that. Yes, uh, Peter Peer is the famous tenor uh, and his longtime lover. Yes. Number three, which festival was created by Britain and his partner? That would be the Aldborough Festival, which is on the the coast of England. It's in the county of Suffolk. I feel like you're broad-nosing a little bit. Uh, I'm just showing off. <laughs> I'm three for three. I mean, I should say, you know, um, I'm a dual citizen yes. of England and the U.S. My mother is English. Uh, and uh, you know, Britain is also one of my favorite composers. And um, done a couple of his shows as a singer, as a boy soprano, directed uh, one, at least. I don't <laughs> think I've directed more than one. So. Wait. George, are you serious? I have. We're You've gonna, done two, Turn of the Screw and Rape of Lucretia. Oh, my gosh. I completely forgot <laughs> about The Rape of Lucretia. <laughs> um, I, I apologize to you, Robin Bradley. Uh, but we'll talk about Turn of the Screw later on in TKO. Okay. Number four. Britain composed which opera by request of his Rape of Lucretia cast to do something a little lighter? Uh oh. Is this going to be my downfall? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the cast, it's lighter. Yes. They requested something that was less mm-hmm. depressing than mm-hmm. The Rape of Lucretia. Is it uh, Albert Herring? It is Albert Herring. You. Yes. Which, it is much lighter. It's, it's extremely it's funny. Hilarious. It's extremely English. It's about so funny. this festival that happens in England every year in all these little villages called the May Festival. Yeah. And in the opera, they are looking for uh, a May queen, which is sort of like, it's like the queen at the Tournament of Roses parade at the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day, or it's, I mean, it's not really like the homecoming queen, but it's kind of similar. And yeah. and of course, in the village where the story takes place, all the women of age, of like in their teens, are um, for one reason or another not eligible. Because Usually too promiscuous. Exactly. Meaning they've looked at a man. <laughs> <laughs> they, they showed their ankles. They showed their ankles. And so... I- Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no, please. I played Florence Pike in undergrad in Albert Herring, and it might have been my favorite thing I've ever done. I did not know that. Yes, I did. Well, it was great. I bet you were marvelous at Thank that. Thank you, George. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it's a really funny show. Yeah. So this is it, right? Nope, one more. That's, what I, that's my point. Oh, yes. Here we go. This <clears> is it. Britain was the first English composer to be given life peerage and was made a baron. In what year was this? Now, that really is difficult. Uh, it was before he died. Not by much. Oh, okay. Hmm. Not by much at all. Not by much at all. Meaning, okay, so he died in 1976. I'm going to go with 1975. 1976. Shoot. Yeah, it was just a couple months before. So depressing. Yes. That I didn't get all five right. I don't care if he died or not. I'm just (laughs) crushed that I couldn't (laughs) get them all. I'm so sorry. But that was, I like that it was themed. Yeah, I like that too. This I week. think it's great. Next week we're doing someone Russian. Oh, okay. Hopefully Tobias will be back at that point. <laughs> he can go zero for five and we can laugh at him. Uh, you want to play on the quiz with us, make sure you give us a call. It's 847-866-WNUR. 9678 is the number. Actually, 9687. Oh, thank you. 9687. People still have like letters on their numbers. Yes, they right? do. They, yes, do. they do. Okay, I thought so. As someone who looks at her phone quite often, I can tell ah, you. Ah, yes, this is true. <laughs> you of all people would know this, Giovanna. 
Absolutely. Well, um, we're going to step aside for a second. Uh, We're coming back with our second Chalk Talk segment. I guarantee you this is not something you are going to want to miss. I alluded uh, to it before. This is all about nudity in opera. It's going to be pretty exciting. So stick around here on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment. A single ember falls wildfire can travel over a mile. Not if the National Endowment for Financial Education control where it lands. Log on to www.smartaboutmoney.org today to take the first step towards improving your financial well-being and discover new ways to make your money work for you. Are you having problems with debt, managing your finances, or saving for retirement? Help us here, and it's closer than you think. Visit smartaboutmoney.org to find answers to your financial concerns. Brought to you as a public service by the National Endowment for Financial Education and WNUR. Ever hear someone say, there are plenty of fish in the sea? There aren't. It's no joke. Many fish are declining in number, and you can make a difference. The folks at Environmental Defense have advice on how to choose fish that are plentiful or caught in an environmentally friendly way, which can help keep our oceans healthy and full of fish. Just visit getgreen.com, and you'll also find other easy tips on how you can help protect our world. That's getgreen.com. The Chicago Food Depository is a not-for-profit food distribution center working to feed hungry people in the Chicagoland area. As one of the largest food banks in the country, the Food Depository helps feed as many 300,000 hungry men, women, and children in Cook County. The Food Depository distributes purchased and donated food from individuals, organizations, farmers, and restaurants to more than 585 Chicago soup kitchens, homes for the disabled, subsidized daycare programs, and shelters. To learn more about how to help feed the hungry in Chicago, call 773-247-FOOD or read more on the web at chicagosfoodbank.org. This message brought to you by WNUR 89.3 FM. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. With George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Thanks for staying with us here on WNUR FM. Evanston, Chicago. It's Chicago Sound Experiment. Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist here with the lovely, delightful, beautiful Giovanna Jacques. Aw, thank you, George. Take it when you can get it, Giovanna. <laughs> I will. So, um, what you got for us? You know, so often when we open a browser or we watch TV or something happens that we're pretty much just looking around, looking at our phones on Instagram, Facebook, we see pretty much naked women right that sells it does sell that's something that like that people like to see well it looks like that's also happening in opera Hmm. which for a long time was shunned upon because opera is considered and i quote fred plotkin who is a very famous expert on opera i quote that opera is a high art and thus should not be demeaned by nudity on stage now, my question, as I'm reading through some of his articles, because he's written several on this subject, 
is is opera is is being naked as long as it's part of the story say like salome during the dance of the seven veils like if she's if she turns out to be naked or in any pretty much greek opera that's set in the greek time where nudity was a very common thing is that not complementary to the high art is that not more of a realistic thing it should be, yeah. I mean, if it's part of the story, exactly. it would be odd, I think, if it didn't happen. Exactly. So there have been many, many stages <laughs> in Europe, I will say, especially the French, um, that have been really representing this lately and have been really taking that, that to a, a different level where the women and the men appear nude. Now, sometimes it goes a little too far. Like uh, there was one staging in Germany where uh, of of uh, the dance of the seven veils, so Salome's song, um, where she is not naked, but the executioner is. And does he sing? No. Yeah, he's a supernumerary, which yeah. is the fancy word for an extra. Exactly, and he just comes out, and it was this apparently giant giant African American guy that was really muscular, and that was very pleasant to look at. I'm sure but naked, <laughs> but made no sense holding the bloody head. <laughs> as he walks out of John the Baptist, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it just depends on on what the story is, if it works within the story or not. I think it's kind of cool, personally. I mean, like, the question is, does it try and make the art form and to make the opera cool just because there's naked people on stage? Right, exactly. Or, or does it really truly become part of the story? Is it justified by the story? I'm trying to think... If I've ever directed a production in which there was nudity, I directed a play called The Blue Room, which is a play by David Hare, which um, has full frontal male and female nudity in mm -hmm. it. But I don't know if I've ever done an opera. And here's my problem with nudity on stage in opera. And I'm not much of a prude. So the problem I have with this, and I guess it contrasts with, with this idea of nudity in, in a theater or in a play, is that... There is something literally about the mechanics of singing, the diaphragm sticking out, the breath control, the heaving, which is so unattractive. But is that the point, to make it attractive? I don't, I mean... Or is it just a representation of what was real at the time? But, but... Because a lot not... of opera singers, I don't know if I want to see them naked. I, th this is my point. Like, I don't know if I want to see that. I don't want... I don't want to see the mechanics of of breathing and, and singing, mostly because it takes me out of the story. Right. Because it, it reminds me that, that everyone's singing. Yes, I get that you go to an opera, obviously you know everyone's singing mm -hmm. because that's the way the story is that's told and you sort of, you just buy into that and, and you just accept it for what it is because you want the music. Um, but I guess I contrast that with, uh, you know, nudity when the story is is justified. So what do you think about the French production of The Rape of Lucretia in which Tarquinius is naked in the rape scene? Well, to me, that makes total sense. I mean, obviously, there is a way to play rape where Tarquinius is not naked or he's, like, semi-clothed, but the very nature of the title suggests, like... It, some nudity mm -hmm. must be must happen. Uh, I guess it's a question of how it's staged. It's a question of taste, and I talked about this on the last show. Is it's a question of taste and what people think uh, is necessary and needed 
in order to tell the story. Right. I don't think I would disagree with that choice. Right. Do you have another example that we can kind of deconstruct? Let me see. Do I? Um, yeah. Canadian baritone Danielle Okrelich appeared nude in The Fly, which was produced at the Los Angeles Opera and also in Europe before. So he was nude in Europe and then did it in L.A. also nude, which California doesn't count, by the way, because they, they'd they be totally fine with anybody being naked. Yeah, well, because they're all like beautiful people out yeah. there. Oh, my gosh. They don't have like half a brain, 95% of those people. But yeah. <laughs> They are extremely what are you to say, and they're extremely good looking. I will that's like the only reason I'd ever want to live in California, <laughs> just to be around beautiful people and the uh, fish tacos. Um, oh, but apart from that, yeah, forget it. You couldn't you couldn't pay me to live in Los Angeles. Uh, the um, the fly, of course, like so that's the opera. It was directed by well, the film was directed by David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. uh, and the opera was directed by. I think uh, it might have. I think it might have been David Cronenberg as well, actually. Okay. And so, well, then, yeah, the man turns himself into a fly, right? So I understand there must be some sort of a Frankenstein-like moment where he emerges from a huge pus-filled egg, exactly, completely naked. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And the transformation scene, um, it is, but it's very brief. And um, Fred's point is that this, you know, when it when it works within the story. It can be really cool. In this transformation, it was brief. He turned into an, inse- an insect pretty quickly. And, you know, you didn't concentrate on the fact that he was balls out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. I would be surprised if it came to this country. I mean, I think we all can agree that the Europeans have a certain sensibility where they... Um, are more tolerant of that. Mm-hmm. It's more a part of their culture, of their visual art, of their performance art. This is an oddly puritanical country that it we live in. It is very puritanical, absolutely. Uh, and um, I, I don't know if we're going to see this sort of a change overnight, although I will say the next show that um, Chicago Fringe Opera is planning on doing... Has nudity in it? Very possible. Very possible. I, I'll tell you more about that later. We're not announcing that yet, right? I, I can't announce it, no, no just because just we, we haven't signed on the dotted line yet for the show. But um, you want to stick around uh, oh, yeah. for that at some point. You also want to stick around for our next segment. It's called Instant Replay, and we ask you to keep it tuned right here. WNURFM, Evanston, Chicago. Opera class, sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Coming up, it's instant replay. It's when we take a classic opera aria and we play it for you for your listening pleasure, and then we find a suitable rock or hip hop cover of the same song. And uh, this segment came about when um, a friend of ours was listening to the show and was like, I can't believe you don't play any opera music on the show. And and I'm not going to sit here and like deconstruct an aria because A, I, I don't know anything about that and B, I think that's pretty dull. Uh, I would much rather listen to some upbeat pop rock, what have you. So this week, the aria is Un Bel Di mm-hmm. from Puccini's 
Madama Butterfly. And the R is at the end of the first act. Once you hear it, you, you will probably recognize it. Uh, the cover is done by this guy called Malcolm McLaren, who is a producer. Hmm. He's not actually a singer himself, but he somehow like produced this song. Mm-hmm. He was originally the producer of the Sex Pistols. Oh. Yeah. Wow. But this, fancy, fancy. It, it, well, it is kind of fancy. This song itself is from 1983. Uh, we'll get to that in about four minutes. So um, stick around. Enjoy. We're going to grab a drink of water. Keep it tuned here. Right to Opera Box Store and enjoy the music.
Nagasaki, I got married to Cho Cho San. That was a name in those days when I was a man. I gone back and visit her. And she got a problem. She got a little Cho Cho. Cho Cho San was her name. And Mr. Taylor Wolf. Take it away, Cho Cho.
I'm a bound to I married a Yankee girl. But I went back to visit old Japan, where there she was, Cho-Cho Sand. Gotta have something to believe in. My white honey, I do miss him. Someday soon he'll come around, just to stop my nervous breakdown. Call me fool, call me stupid. violations and publicize the abusers, uphold political freedom and defend against discrimination. Human Rights Watch currently monitors countries and engages the public to support the cause of universal human rights. For more information about their activities and findings, visit www.humanrightswatch.org. This message was brought to you by WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. 36 million Americans do not know where the next one is coming from, or even if there will be one. 36 million people, including 13 million children, represents more than 1 in 10 households in the U.S. You can help fight against hunger and poverty at whyhunger.org. At whyhunger.org, you'll find programs, resources, and other easy ways to help the 10% of Americans who will experience hunger today. This message brought to you by WNUR and Why Hunger. You might think indoor tanning is safe, yet UV light from indoor tanning can cause premature aging, including wrinkles, sagging, and age spots. And even worse, UV light can increase your risk of skin cancer, including melanoma, the deadliest form of skin cancer. In fact, one person dies from melanoma about every hour. Don't be one of them. Indoor tanning is out. This message brought to you by the American Academy of Dermatology and WNUR. Hey, Billy, want to go to the state fair? Yeah! Well, you can't. Well, you see, Billy, when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have done with it. But now your parents are becoming energy efficient. They could save hundreds of dollars a year and take you to the fair next year. I want to go now. Oh, I know you do. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. TKO on the OBS with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. And we are back on WNURFM. 
Evanston, Chicago. This is Chicago Sound Experiment. This is Opera Box Score. This is George Cedarquist. This is Giovanna Jacques. Set it up for us, Giovanna. TKO, what's it mean? What is it? What's going to happen? What was that, George? Oh, you mean you wanted to talk about instant replay first? <laughs> Yes, I do. But you know what? It's fine. We can talk about TKO. That's totally fine. All I'll say is that I've never heard such a bizarre cover of Unbeldi. Neither have I. Uh, I mean, from the like opening harmonica in the initial bars to the to, unintelligible speech to the unintelligible like country western speech <laughs> to the like spoken <laughs> rap uh, just insane. Okay, moving on. Sorry, I just had to have a moment because it was really quite awful. I kind of ruined your most favorite aria. You I forgive you. Okay, well good. I'm glad. We we always come up with something unusual to say the least. I don't think we're ever going to run out of material. I have a funny feeling about that. So TKO, everybody. TKO is when we set up two opera singers and put them in a fight in a death cage steel battle. Is that the right order of the words? Steel cage death battle. Cage death battle. Uh, right. So the two singers that we have chosen today are the two singers that, that sang Miles in Chicago Fringe Opera's Turn of the Screw. So these two tenors are Jonathan Zhang and Jared Esguera. And both of them had really, really wonderful approaches to the characters. And as we know, Miles is, is a child. So these are young adults playing a child. And they both approached it so differently and yet so artistically and thoughtfully. I am going to back Jared Esguera mostly because he is a long, long time friend and because he's way bulkier. And he also told us this exercise regime at the cast party last night I, after you left. Okay, I'm, I'm glad I left when I did with my two <laughs> children. So, so what is the regime for Jared? Jared spends an hour and a half at the gym five times a week. He does 50 minutes of weights, free weights. Five, and five zero minutes? Five zero. Takes a five to ten minute break and a half an hour of cardio to end the session. Good That's what he does grief. five days a week. To be fair, Jared works full time as a singer, so he does have big pockets of open time during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his nights are always very, very busy. So after learning that and after we all compared um, arm muscle sizes and bicep sizes, I think that Jared would crush Jonathan Zhang in a second. I love you, Jonathan. Don't take it personally. Well, I mean, I'm going to advocate for Jonathan here. I will say to Jared's credit, I mean, he he's not that much taller than I am, but he is extru- he is he is jacked. I mean, his biceps are like my neck. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. Um Jonathan, on the other hand, is slight of stature, uh, but extremely quick and nimble and uh, very clever and wily. And uh, I mean, I feel like he could move and he could kind of float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, as Muhammad Ali (laughs) once said. Float like a butterfly, (laughs) sting like a bee. (laughs) There there you go. (laughs) We should should bust that on instant replay. so, you know, I, th- I think he might be able to evade uh, Jared and kind of wear him down, don't you? Oh, man. Well, you know, Jonathan Zeng is pure muscle. And we were actually talking about this. He's tiny, but he is just doesn't have an ounce of fat. And when you hug Jonathan Zeng, you are hugging a hard block of human, albeit slight, it's, a hard block of human nonetheless. Yeah, that's true. But I still feel like 
Jonathan would tire himself out by running around, and Jared could take punches from him for a very long time. And then eventually, once Jonathan's tired of running around, all Jared has to do is swoop him in, slap him across the face, and Jonathan will be on the ground. And, and throw him into the cage. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna seed uh, this one to you. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you're right that, um, you know, Jonathan could kind of run circles for a while, but but ultimately um, Jared would make him make him cry uncle. I think so. so. Uh, also, Jared has two tattoos that are really, really cool. What are the tattoos of? Can one you say? One a Filipino tribal symbol. Okay. He is, he's Filipino, then, right? Yes, he's Filipino. And then the other is just the outline of a triangle on his peck, oh which I've goodness. seen only because he is shirtless in Turn of the Screw. Everybody calm down. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very classy and also very kind of like, whoa, Jared, you That's- have tats, brah. <laughs> I I have no tattoos. I don't think I will ever get a tattoo probably. Do you have a tattoo? I do not. You don't. Okay. No. Yeah. I just don't know what I would get. Uh, I think you should get my face. Definitely not. <laughs> I don't have nearly enough space on my back. Jojo for, for life. Jo- what are you trying to say? Life. Are you calling me fat? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, do not leave us right now. We got one more segment to do. It's called Good Call, Bad Call. We're going to talk about the best and the worst of the past week in opera. Stick with us to the finish on WNUR 89.3 FM, Chicago Evanston, Chicago's sound experiment. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. And we are back on Opera Box Score. One more segment to do, and it's called Good Call, Bad Call. We take the best and the worst from the week, and um, I'm going to kick it off this week. I um, had lunch the other day with Sherry Greenwald and Mark Morash, who are the movers and shakers behind the Marilla Opera Program. Marilla is probably the preeminent uh, young artist program in this country. Absolutely, hands down. Uh, it's based at uh, in San Francisco in association with San Francisco Opera. Uh, Sherry, of course, was a very well-known singer mm-hmm. in her day. Obviously, she doesn't sing anymore. Um, they're on their audition tour right now, and I had lunch with them uh last week and i was talking to sherry and we're you know talking shop and talking the business and all that and somehow she goes off on a tangent as she is wont to do on the golden state warriors which is her basketball team (laughs) yeah warriors um you know so she's there in san francisco golden state of course they're based in oakland across the bay they uh won the nba championship last year and I can't remember how we got onto this, but she starts going off on like Steph Curry this and Clay Thompson that and Draymond Green. I'm like, hang on a second, Sherry. Are you telling me that you know the starting lineup of the Golden State Warriors? She's like, what are you talking about? I would, I mean, I would go to the games if I had more time. And then she gave this very intelligent argument about why Luke Walton, who's the current head coach, 
coach. He's an interim coach for the team, and he's replaced this other guy, Steve Kerr. Uh, this very insightful, educated, stat-based interpretation of uh, <laughs> how the team is doing. And I was absolutely floored. So that is definitely my good call for the week. I'm just so thrilled to have had lunch with her and to um, talk sports as well. Giovanna, do you have a, a good call or a bad call this week? I have a good call. Also, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. It's kind of nice to know that one of the big big shoulders at Marilla also enjoys the Golden State Warriors. My good call is a quote by Bernard Faucroul, who is the director of the Festival d'Aix en Provence in France, that in was, the south of France. That was a mouthful. Oh. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, this quote I found in an article on... Opera Base, which is a wonderful resource for opera singers on what is happening in the opera world, everything that's happening. I'll read you the quote. And just, I, I think you'll be really floored, George. It's so spot on. Go ahead. And I quote, It's an organic question. Maybe the danger we are all facing is the danger of consumerism. If we see a spectator as a consumer, it's the end. We should see a spectator as somebody who is taking his own person, his own generosity into the show, and then it transforms substantially the relationship between the person and the show and between this institution and the person. Well, I think that's quite a fundamental change in perspective. Can we just stop talking about the French on this show? I'm sorry. I, I mean, I feel I like we're talking about how beautiful they are when they take their clothes off. Now we're talking about how erudite and philosophical they are when they say something as intelligent as that. No wonder this guy is running the Aix-en-Provence Festival, which is a very important festival there. You cannot ask a French person not to talk about France. You really can't. No. If they could only get the cigarette out of their mouth, they could probably... I don't have a cigarette even... in my mouth right now. This is true. <laughs> well, it, it gets in the way when you're doing radio. <laughs> So if, I'm told. If we could only get rid of those strings of onions and garlic around their necks, <laughs> you know, we, we could talk more with them. But, I mean, what an intelligent thing to say. Isn't it amazing? I was floored by it. And what an intelligent way to view the, the, the spectator exactly. in that, opera. That he or she is just like one little part of the process. And mm -hmm. it's not about doing a show for an audience and like, that's it. It's about this longer journey. It's about this longer discussion. It's about... A conversation and a history. I I am I'm as floored as you. Good. I hope that you are all floored as well. Well, I'm glad you guys joined us for the show this week. Uh, there is the shot clock buzzer, which means that we're out of time on this episode of Opera Box Score. Our executive producer is Eric Rita, and our announcer is Norm Waddell. Special thanks to our creative consultant Rob Steele. Right now, you're rocking out to Vodka Inferno, which is by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. Hey, you, let us know what you think of the show. Email us, operaboxscore at gmail.com, or tweet about us at operaboxscore. And you can also visit our brand spanking new website at operaboxscore.wix.com slash home. We are back on Monday, November 9th at 8 p.m., 9 Eastern. Put it in your Google calendar right now. <laughs> For Giovanna, Jacques, and Tobias Wright, this is George Cedarquist saying so long from Chicago. You're listening to WNUR, Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment. Giovanna, final thought? Good night. <laughs> Good night.
sweet caress, swears he never leave, he never